Church, Charlotte. Good to see everybody. Uh, thank you for giving us some of your time. Um, I'm always amazed at how many people are, uh, you know, engaged with life, busy, driving, coming home from work, and uh, technology allows us to come together. Um, not as good as if all of us lived within 10 minutes of each other and we could easily just have get-togethers and all that, but we're all over the metro, and so I'm thankful for uh, what, what we are able to do. Um, I'm going to get started here in just a moment. Uh, I want to remind everybody that um, if you think of any question while I am while I'm teaching um, and you want to put it in the text, uh, feel free to do that. I also want you all to know that I don't know if we're doing it this week, but starting either this week or next week, while this private event is going on, last week's Bible study that we recorded will be streaming live on Facebook and on YouTube. So we'll still have our streaming presence. It'll just be a week delayed. Um, and uh, so don't let that confuse you the stream that's happening live on various uh, media services that is a week a week old um, and the private meeting that's happening right now is actually what is going to be uh, being recorded so all right i know you're busy um, i know you have things to do uh, so i'm going to go ahead and get started here um, let's do a real quick uh, check on technicals can everyone hear me good just give me a thumbs up um, if everything's yep. fine there. Okay. All right. So yep. our, our subject tonight that I um, want to bring to you is really teaching about the nature of the church. What is the church? Um, what should it be involved in? What is the spiritual purposes involved um, in the church? And so we are going to talk about that. And my, my title uh, which should be, is kind of a fun title, is simply this, um, Bully, Body, or Bride? <laughs> Bully, Body, or Bride? Amanda, it's good to see you. You just popped up on my screen. Um, I just say, Lord, let the technology algorithm be led, and whoever pops up on my screen, uh, I, I just blame, blame the Lord for that. So, <laughs> good to see you. Uh, Tell your, tell all, give all your children a hug for us. And so I see them gathered around. That's some good looking kids right there. All right, so let's get started. And uh, our title is Bully, Body, or Bride. And so let me share my screen with all of you. And uh, hopefully it will, it will come up quickly at the moment. It's not giving me an option to share my screen. Let me see if there's a reason why that's happening. Forgive me for that. Share eight. Nope, not there. Uh, cancel that one more time. Apologies. Apologies. There we go. All right, here we go. Um, your screen should be seeing my notes. Um, if we talk about what a church is and how a church is perceived, um, I think the three most common things you will hear will be these. Uh, a lot of people, particularly those who have a negative memory of something that happened in a church, um, they will think of the church as a bully and they will use the church as their number one, their number one excuse as to why they no longer 
attend church. Uh, that sounds strange, but as a pastor, talking to people, encouraging people, uh, listening to their reasons as to why they um, are not attending anymore. Uh, one of the most, I would say the most common reason I hear is um, their, their criticism, etc., of the church itself. Um, so let's admit a lot of people see it that way as a type of spiritual um, or righteous bully. Okay. We disagree with that. Um, but let's give them their pound of flesh. Secondly, people think of it as the body of Christ. This is people who are, you know, a part of it. And they using that terminology have a sense of responsibility to fulfill the ministry of Christ as the body of Christ. And then when we come together in a heart of worship and we are, as it were, throwing our hearts at God uh, and we're thinking of spiritual intimacy and uh, the love relationship of worship that exists between us toward the object of our worship, then we think in terms of bride. And so uh, the church can be all of these things, but none of these really define the purpose of the church. What is the nature of the church to you? Um, chances are the nature of the church in your mind is a result of your experiences with the church. Very few people have a theological or shall we even say biblical view of the church. They have an experience view of, of the church. I recently had the opportunity with my wife to be in Europe and every city we went to, I visited the cathedral. Um, on one hand, yes, it's beautiful architecture, but to me, it's much more than that because uh, there probably will never be another time in history until the new Jerusalem has come when the hope of a people is expressed in a building that is designed by their culture to focus their attention heavenward. Whether it's soaring ceilings and arches, whether it is uh, scenes uh, carved in rock, whether it is specific altars along the sides of the church dedicated to this saint or that apostle, um, never again in world history uh, until perhaps someday when the new Jerusalem comes, will all the hopes of the people's faith be expressed in something tangible. And that's what these cathedrals are to me. But let me be honest with you. To me, my experience of the Catholic Church, Catholic is just a, a word from Latin, which means universal, um, the universal church, uh, or as we claim or we see and we use in our language, the Catholic Church. Um, that to me is a story of a lot of excess done in the name of God. I grew up in a Protestant faith, so it's... Um, it's not natural for me to look at the Catholic Church and uh, see anything other than my exposure and my experience to it. Um, I've been to Catholic events and um, I, as a Protestant, I struggle because it's as though the person hosting the service makes zero attempt to communicate with the people. They read to the people in a language nobody understands. It's like the devotion is all in the ritual. People don't even try. The, the priest who was giving the message never even looked up from a book. There was no interaction. There was no, as a Protestant, that's a problem. But when you bring a person of traditional Catholic experience to our church, it may even seem like chaos to them. So what is the nature of the church? Let's admit that 
how you and how I view the church oftentimes is a result of experiences. If you survived a church, if you're not careful, you will define the church as the error, the wrong headedness of a toxic church or body or uh, congregation. That is to miss the purpose of the church because the Bible gives us, it gives us the purpose of the church. And so I try to condense this down in a fairly concise way. I tried to give you the Reader's Digest version of the purpose of the church. And so I want to, um, first of all, admit my need for the church and your need for the church. None of us were formed by God to do life, faith, worship, or ministry alone. In fact, isolation limits us in our gifts and it weakens us in our character. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks back. Uh, the first problem in the Bible was not sin. It was isolation, Genesis 2 and 18. Um, Ecclesiastes, the great wise man, king and teacher Solomon, he gives us this for our consideration. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, they will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him. I was listening to an anthropologist lecture uh, a few years back, and uh, she wasn't even a person of faith. She was agnostic. And um, this was her definition of the first sign of community. Now, this isn't a believer. This is an anthropologist. She says the first sign of community where humanity is not living as a beast of the field, the very first sign in all what she would think of as the fossil record is a healed femur bone. Because a person cannot recover from a broken femur by themselves. They must have help. When I heard her say that, and I remember she's agnostic. She's not even a believer. I thought of this Ecclesiastes chapter number four, verse number nine. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their uh, toil. And if they fall, one will pick his or her fellow up. Woe to the individual who falls, who is alone and uh, cannot get up on their own. I've been asked to, to uh, very quickly um, uh, turn off everyone's microphones. And so I'm gonna do that right now. Um, let's continue on. Our first problem, as we said, was isolation. You were not made to do life, ministry, the work of God, the kingdom of God. You were not made to worship alone. If that's the case, why is it, my brother, my sister, that so many people use the church as a reason why they no longer have faith? Why do they use the church as the reason why they no longer attend? That's um, a fair question. And I ask it because I don't know if any of you would have <laughs> the courage to ask that question because it really is throwing us into the deep end of the pond. I prayed about this this week, and I, 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 I have more to say on the subject, but for time's sake, I'm just going to bring to give you the first thing that came to me in prayer, and that is this. Real Christianity that is expressed in a group of believers requires you to see the good in others. It requires you to be transformed and value other people. True Christianity, as exhibited by Jesus Christ, 
carrying a cross he did not deserve, to die a death he did not deserve for people who were the very ones cheering on that death. That Christianity requires you to love other people, to defend other people, to see the value in other people. And if you cannot make that transition, you will be flushed out of a community that requires you to do so. Um, It will be impossible for you to attend church, to value church, if your heart is not being reminded of your need for repentance, your need to give forgiveness, and your need to see the good in people who you don't know their justifying story. The reason why you see good in yourself is because you know all the stories of your self-justification. The reason why I see good in myself is I know what I meant, not how it seemed. I know what I meant to do, not how it looked. And so Christianity requires you to stop valuing yourself higher than other people. That's why the church does challenge us, because the church is how we are transformed in the here and now, in active applied life, in the acts of the believer, through the acts of the apostles. God's spirit comes into our heart, a transformation begins, that is lived out through our long-suffering kindness, through our fruit of the spirit, through our peace with one another in others. Uh, If God can transform you, you will be quick to defend other people. You will be quick to see the good in other people. You will be quick to value a life that asks you to take up your cross, not Jesus's cross, your cross, which is my life for others. That's what Jesus's cross represents, my life for others. Um, If you are changed, however, I'm, 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 I'm getting real here tonight. I'm not mad at anybody. I love you, but I'm getting real. If you aren't changed by the mercy of God in your life, what you will have is contempt for other people. Now, what is the one unifying thing in all people who use the church as the reason why they no longer have faith or they no longer go to church? What's the one thing? Contempt. I can't say that strong enough. The one common denominator between everybody who uses the flaws of other people, the sins of other people to justify why they lost their faith in a perfect one who died for their sins, it's contempt. Um, And so it wouldn't matter if you gave them a label of Christianity, they aren't being transformed by it anyway. So they have no tolerance for imperfect people, lowly people, people who are flawed. Now, I am not justifying anyone who uses Christianity as a cover to harm. Those people are wolves only wearing an appearance of sheep, and they come in saying the right things, talking the right way, but they have a malevolence in their spirit, a willingness to harm others that they may be protected, justified, and exalted. The Lord will reveal them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not justifying that. I'm not justifying a pastor who abuses people under his care. They should all be taken out of their role and they should all be prosecuted by the law. I'm not justifying any ministerial organization that covers anything up. I'm not justifying any covering up of sin in our church. That said, there is a common denominator among people who cannot attend church. And that is they have somewhere in their heart contempt 
for other people who are trying to serve the Lord. Now watch this. What's the last thing Jesus tells his disciples before Calvary? He says, look, if you can love one another, then people will know you're my disciples. Why? Because it's stinking hard to love one another. And we have to have a transformed heart. We have to turn away the impatience, the judgmentalism, the contempt that exists in our heart toward other people. And we have to think God's done so much for me. It's the least I can do to offer forgiveness to other imperfect people like me. And so if you aren't changed by what God's done for you, if you don't have a heart of thanksgiving, if you don't realize you've been forgiven much, there'll be no opportunity for much love. And that will be manifested in your life by contempt for other people. The church is not a building. You know this, you all could preach this. It is made up of believers just like you, imperfect believers, flawed believers. And yet, and yet, and yet, I want you all to be able to say this in your sleep. So get ready. In spite of imperfection, in spite of flaws, in spite of problems, the church has a threefold purpose. Now that may surprise some of you who have been around uh, religious teaching for a long time. Normally there's a twofold purpose that is a given of the church. And that is, um, you know, you make disciples and you evangelize the lost. That's probably the most common thing you will have heard. I could have taught that myself and I may have, but uh, this time uh, prayer in prayer, I, I was challenged in my spirit to a threefold purpose, which I was ready to grab anyway, because the wise man said in the very next verse where uh, we read earlier, Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. If one falls, there's there the very next verse. He says this, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. I believe the church that Jesus has built has a threefold purpose, and I want to try to show that to you very quickly. First, we exist to exalt God. When we come into the house of God Sunday, we are going to exalt him. You don't need to try to do it like me. That is inauthentic. You need to do it like you, but you need to prepare yourself on the way to church. You need to stop the carnality. Sometime Saturday night, Sunday morning, you need to say, I'm going to the house of God. Why? I'm going to exalt the name of the Lord. We are called to live for the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1 and 12. And that's why we come together and focus our attention upon the Lord. First Peter 2 and 9, we proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the church helps us do that. We come together. We encourage one another. We support one another. So the threefold cord, number one, we exalt. We exist to exalt the Lord. Secondly, we exist to edify the saints. Now, edification is a fancy $5 King Jamesian word, um, but I'm going to make it simple. We build one another up. We build one another up. I don't just build you up when I approve of you. I don't just build you up when you've been attending church and supporting the ministries of the church. My job is to build you up in faith. Faith is saying that which is not yet birthed in you, speaking it over you with prophetic hope. I believe God has. I believe God will. I believe God can. I believe God shall. I speak that faith over you. I edify you. Not only that, 
I, as a pastor, equip you, the church, the pastoral staff, we equip you uh, for ministry. You are a minister. Ministry is not consigned to the platform. We build you up. You grow in your faith. Yesterday, there was a need at work. You didn't offer to pray because you were hesitant. But I speak to you and I say, God's going to give you boldness. It's not there yet. I speak it over you. And I say, take a little step. I say, exercise your faith. A day will come. It'll be easy for you to be seen as a voice of faith in somebody else's life. I want to build you up. Why? So you can become a minister to your world. Paul says this, uh, Colossians 1.28. He wanted, he desired, he longed to present every person mature in Christ. The church has a second purpose of this threefold cord. Number one, we exalt God. Number two, we edify one another. We disciple, we encourage, we equip, we build up. And here's the third of the spiritual, biblical, divine purposes of the church. Well, before I do that, I have one more passage. Let me give that to you. Lastly, we exist to evangelize. Let me go back to number two, building you up, present every person mature in Christ, Colossians 1.28. Now, let's read Ephesians 4.11 through 15. This is how God builds you up, edifies, makes you a minister capable in his hands. He gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. It is the purpose of the church to develop your ministries. That's why we want to get you involved. We're not asking you to lead the worship service right away. Maybe you can be a greeter. (laughs) Maybe you could uh, help somewhere. Maybe you could support a smaller group. Maybe you could help, but later on, you may grow in your faith. It's the will of God for you to grow in your faith. You develop the church, builds you up. And then finally, a church that is exalting God and a church that is equipped for ministry, it is now natural for that church to evangelize others. Now, if you are not a worshiper, it doesn't matter how much you know, how long you've been serving, because you don't have a heart for others. You see, it's being focused on the heart of God that gives you a heart for others, do you see? On the other hand, so we said if, if you're not a worshiper, it doesn't matter how much you know. On the other hand, if you are a worshiper, but you're spiritually immature and you stagger from one service to another, you're not being built up. You're not maturing. Every doctrine that comes through, every you follow every chill bump to the next exciting theology. You, you never invest in a location, a body of Christ that is, yes, troublesome. 
Iron sharpens iron. Imperfect people help you become the type of person who others see Christ in because you have love, love one for another. These work together. A focus on God, a growth within, finally, an ability to evangelize the world. You become a representative of the heart of God. We share with our lives a gospel of hope to others. And so our words tell of the goodness of God. If you're not growing, you won't have anything to say. If you have things to say, but you don't have a heart of worship, you won't have any desire to do it. And evangelism will fail because the first two chords, uh, uh, bands of the chord are not there. But your words should, in evangelism, tell of God's goodness. Your life manifests God's goodness. And finally, your gratitude reveals God's goodness. And the result of this is there is now a people manifested in the earth transformed by the power of God that is able to fulfill scriptures like Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um, I want to, um, as I said earlier, just point out that it's real common for people to talk about the twofold purpose of the church, which is evangelism and discipleship. Um, and every time I've heard this talk, I've heard the teacher, be it in a, a religious college or in a Bible study, I've often heard them talk about there's a tension that exists here. And I want to say I myself have talked this way. The tension that exists between uh, these two purposes of the church, which is evangelism and discipleship. And You'll hear people talk about how the church faces outward with evangelism and we face inward with discipleship. This makes total sense. I've taught this. I understand this. But this week in prayer, God spoke to me. God gave me something. And he said, both of these is um, really not a best understanding. There's a better understanding than the church looking outward and evangelizing and looking inward in discipleship. Here's why. When the church only looks outward in evangelism, it leads us to live as though we're the ones who save, reach, transform the world. And when the church looks inward for discipleship, we fall into an error that goes like this. We perfect ourselves. Both of these leads to vanity. The vanity trap of religion is when we look outward in evangelism, we look inward in discipleship. Neither of these is as good an understanding as a threefold purpose of the church, a threefold cord that is not easily broken. And that goes like this, whether or not, whether or not we are doing evangelism or whether or not we are doing discipleship, our vision is always vertically. It's always vertical. So when we're telling other people what God can do for them, we're not giving them our plan. We're giving them the testimony of God's power. And when we are trying to do better, to live more holy, to be more righteous, to quit pursuing the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's not about us gritting our teeth 
and making ourselves do better. It's about ourselves, our eyes, our gaze being focused on God. And if we, as the church, can get our focus on God, the so-called tension that exists between evangelism and discipleship goes away. Why do I say that? Because the church was created to gaze upon the Lord. We were created to be worshipers. We were created to gaze upon the Lord. And whether or not, well, let me give you this example. When we see people and they're looking into the sky and they're pointing, what's the first thing you do? I know the first thing I do is I look into the sky and try to see what's happening. I wonder what's going on there. There's a hand pointed into the sky. I look what's going on. You see what I'm saying? I look, I lift my eye. What are they looking at? And pretty soon you have a crowd of people gathered around looking up. They're trying to figure out what they're looking at. This, I think, is a beautiful example of what worship could be. Because when we are exalting the Lord, uh, it's natural for others to try to see what we're seeing. The difference is this. When the church shows up and we're going to evangelize somebody, and we tell them why they're going to hell and what they've done wrong. You see, when we do that, we're looking at them. And it's no surprise that the church is perceived as um, a bully <laughs> because we're telling them everything that's wrong with them. However, when we come to evangelize and we tell them what God has done for us, we're suddenly not a lawyer, we're a testimony. You see what I'm saying? We're not a lawyer. We're a witness. We're not a prosecuting attorney. We're a witness. As for whether or not this man is a devil, I do not know. But this one thing I know, I once was lost. I wish I had some people to run the aisles. Maybe someone could run the aisles in your house right now. I once was lost. Now I'm fine. Or as the, as the blind man said, all I know is this. I once was blind. And now I see. So evangelism done right is people pointing to God, saying, well, let me tell you what God did for me. I used to be bound by drugs. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to have an addiction of an immoral nature, just like what you're telling me about. My relationship has been in trouble. My family has gone through crisis. I've nearly lost everything. But you know what helped me? I got my eyes back on God. Let me tell you. Uh, the church can't be perceived as a bully when we talk like that, in like manner, in like manner. When the church is trying to disciple and we're trying to help people grow, and what we do is we give them shame. You should live better than that. It's no wonder the church is perceived as bully. <laughs> Why? Because we're looking at them. Instead of looking at God, when we're beating ourselves up, we have to stop looking at us and we have to say, God, with your strength, by your power, by your grace, I'm getting up again. The just man falls seven times and riseth up again. You get the idea. Um, this is the difference in me looking at a sinner or me looking at myself and saying I'm a sinner than it is me beholding the beauty of the Lord, gazing upon the Lord as my beloved. I'm not just trying to change to be the Mr. You know, better than anybody else, goody two shoes. I'm gazing upon the Lord. And when I consider his goodness, I want to do better. So let me say it this way. The church exists 
to gaze upon the Lord, to be joined by grace, and to be so overwhelmed with the great debt we have been forgiven that it is natural for us to forgive others and natural for us to include others. And when we do that, our love one toward another makes us the body of Christ. Do you see? Why? We have to appreciate each other. Different parts of your body have very different functions. Um, you have to appreciate each other. You have to know that however different than they are than you, you need them. Now, you have a testimony to outsiders because you're living as a body. You don't have contempt for people. You don't have contempt for people. You want to make a church toxic? Let a spirit of content, contempt develop in that church toward other people in the church or even other people, period, or other churches. Contempt is the opposite of love. I deeply believe that. And so we become a body. We need each other. We're very different, but we need each other. When somebody's not doing well, the rest of your body doesn't abandon it. The rest of your body tries to help it. We become a body when we have love one toward another. And when we gaze upon the Lord, when we gaze upon the Lord, when we behold our beloved, we become a bride. We gaze upon our beloved, and that is spiritual intimacy. When we gaze upon him as the object of our love, and he gazes upon us as the object of his love, we become the bride of Christ. As we love one another, as we manifest that love to the world, we become a body. But if we take our eyes off Christ, if we take our eyes off Christ, whether it's in evangelism or discipleship, the church becomes a bully. And churches like that become toxic organizations of very little spiritual difference making in their community. All right. I want to say this, having thusly delivered my soul, I want to say to all of you that I want, if the Lord will help me, I want to have a better uh, uh, patience for other believers than I ever have. I want to have more, uh, how shall we say, appreciation, appreciation for other people than I ever have. Um, and I want to express uh, affection uh, toward uh, brothers and sisters better than I ever have. It is key to my discipleship, me growing, read every one of the gifts of the Spirit, read every one of the fruit of the Spirit. All of them are about your interaction spiritually with other people, uh, and it is directly related to my evangelism. And so um, I will, I will uh, stop there. Uh, I did a little bit better on time tonight. Um, I'm going to give you a moment on... Uh, 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 to, if you have any questions and you want to put any in the room right now, um, I'll give you a moment to do that. I don't see any questions. Maybe that's because I did such a great job that nobody has any questions. <laughs> Pastor, um, so, um, uh, go ahead, speak up. Uh, I wanted to ask about this niche that I find First Church in where uh, a big part of our ministry seems to be pointed at 
as you have said, at, at first generation uh, apostolics, meaning um, the love that we are beginning to show to first generation folks, maybe even folks that have come from other faiths, but this is their first introduction to um, to apostolic Pentecostalism, if you will, yes. and 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 the the reception that we're getting, not only in first steps uh, environment, but in our Bible studies. I have several folks in my Bible studies that this is their first introduction to it, and I find that we're getting. A better reception, if I could, if I could put it that way. I wonder yes. if you could talk to this group about that focus, and maybe, maybe we can help one another there. Yeah, um, that's great. Um, I would, I, I wouldn't thought to bring that up, but I'm glad you did because that's that's wonderful. Um, all churches specialize, as you know. Um, you guys have probably heard me say this before. Um, it's a result of the gifts of the pastoral team that leads it. Um, some churches specialize more than others. Um, I, I, I have preached in churches that were, they specialized in a prophecy. Um, they had some of their best success in doing prophecy revivals. Um, I've been in churches that specialize their, what I would call a word church. Um, and they kind of, you know, look a little bit askance at um, a church that, you know, maybe doesn't get into the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, I've, I've preached in churches where um, um, I, I, someone kind of mildly criticized me because I didn't explain the Greek words of the text. And I, I just was like, really? Wow, that's, that's new. <laughs> um, I, I've been in churches where if you don't, if it, if you don't, you know, kind of have a camp meeting style experience, then it wasn't the real move of God. Um, all of those things are good. None of them are wrong, and all of them will reach certain kinds of people. I want us all to see that. We are not in the business of having contempt toward or a sneering, dismissive disregard toward other people where we slyly and conveniently look down our nose and think we are better. Okay? So... Uh, contempt, Amanda, that's a great question you asked uh, what contempt looks like. I, I would describe contempt like this. I'm going to put this in the conversation I'm talking about. When I don't just dislike the way you do it, I think the way I do it is better. And you disgust me just a little bit. <laughs> that's contempt. You disgust me just a little bit. Um, and so a lot of apostolic churches that specialize uh, oftentimes struggle to reach first generation believers or first generation apostolics. Why do they struggle? Because they're such specialists when someone visits, they are blown away. And the people are usually polite. Oh, that was a great service, but they don't come back. Um, and the exception would be um, the church that is um, particularly prophecy style churches. They tend to catch people and they are at they are in desperate, desperate straits. Um, and those churches oftentimes will be very good at reaching those people. And we have to be very sensitive to where we are. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina is the most churched city in America. It's the most church city per capita in America. Our number one harvest field, our number one harvest field is with denominational Christians who have a religious background, but are not necessarily apostolic. But if we 
that's our largest uh, harvest field. This isn't just my opinion. This is a result of studies that I and myself have done. Uh, I and the staff have done uh, looking at Charlotte demographics, talking about these things. Um, and that's our number one harvest field. So whether you guys notice it or not, um, our services, our preaching style, um, the way we organize is really to be an on-ramp for the first generation Christian who is kind of looking to come back to church. Um, we could have a different, now I'm not saying we won't have services that feel different ways. I'm not saying we wouldn't have a prophecy revival. If I found the right prophecy teacher, I'd be glad to have a prophecy revival. Um, but I want you to see we're being intentional about our harvest field, just like a, um, a farmer, you don't plant uh, tomatoes in um, Saskatchewan because it's too dry. You can plant winter wheat, spring wheat. Yes, I I watch YouTube farmers. I'm a nerd. Um, you can't, but on the other hand, uh, you don't even grow corn there. But in Minnesota, you grow corn. Um, you see what I'm saying? Uh, in the South, you grow cotton. In Louisiana, you grow rice. Um, it's very different. It, it, rice, rice won't even get started in Minnesota. You understand what I'm saying? Um, you have to do it in a, maybe a greenhouse of some sort. We have to aim at our harvest field. The result of doing that effectively is you should be able to look at the church and you should be able to say, first generation apostolic right there. Now, we, we're a church area. Um, it's hard to find people who have no church exposure in Charlotte, North Carolina. But you should be able to say first generation apostolic, first generation apostolic first generation apostolic and then those people have to come in and feel accepted feel loved you cannot create a culture where we argue right away we may eventually argue but not right away you can't create a culture where we tell people they have never received anything from god i know churches that do that i've preached in churches doing that when i was a young preacher you probably could find a message where I got a little carried away and spoke beyond my understanding. Um, and I was quick to denigrate anything, but if you don't, you know, Sandy and I can't meet and fall out, it wasn't real. I, I understand, that's how I grew up, I'm not unsympathetic. But you, you have to look at the field you have. And so for us, our team, not just me, our whole pastoral staff is very careful uh, to notice, to, 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 try to care. Give an example. We had a couple visit. We have a lot of visitors from Elevation. Elevation is a very successful uh, evangelical church here in Charlotte. Um, uh, they're not us. They don't, they don't uh, have, uh, you know, uh, Jesus name baptism. Um, they don't, they don't have, uh, you know, gifts of the spirit like we would and spirit feeling like we do, but they're not our enemy. They call the name of Jesus and I refuse to get into a contemptible war with them, but we have a lot of visitors from them. Now, all of you guys are strong believers and you should understand this. There's other apostolic churches that don't have visitors from elevation. Why? They're a spec, it's just, they get blown away. They're, they, they don't, it's, you understand what I'm saying? We, that's the kind of crop we grow. These people come, so our usher staff noticed that a couple left in the middle of the service. They went out and caught them. Come to find out, he wanted to go to an elevation style kind of a concert service. Um, she wanted to come to an apostolic church. They're fighting in our parking lot. Our ushers are out there. We're taking care of them. 
you know, talking to them, answering any questions they have, not managing their business, but just showing, showing love. You know, I, I know church, I have pastor friends that if you walk out of their church, they just, they're like, don't let the door hit you in the behind end. You understand what I'm saying? Our church has had success with that because of a pastoral staff, an ushering staff, a ministry team that is sensitive to the field and that has been intentional to organize our services where people do not feel, <laughs> um, how shall I say this? They're, they're, they, they might be a little uncomfortable, but they're not a lot uncomfortable. They're, they have time to catch up. You'll notice I always explain what's happening. The reason why is because for the last almost six years, I have met with first time uh, or nearly our new believers in First Steps. And while you guys <laughs> were going to dinner, me and my pastoral staff were answering their questions. You cannot do that for six years and it not change the way you have church. You cannot meet them every Sunday when we have first church the, almost all our pastoral team comes by what's your name we greet them we get to know if we can get to know their kids you cannot do that for six years without affecting how you do things so um, you could I'm spending too much time on this but Don you, what you said is so right this is us this is us wanting to include to invite to embrace uh, we don't want to meet you with a sword we want to meet you with the lamb of god <laughs> we want to be the body of christ and we want to focus our eyes on jesus whether it's worship whether it is witness our eyes are focused on jesus all right now there's more to be said there but i'm sure I'll say more about it in the future. Thank you for bringing that up, Pastor Don. Um, Beverly, um, discipleship and I understand discipleship and evangelism, but what is the biblical role for social type of services, giving a cup of water in his name? No, we cannot be a chronic welfare system, but are we biblically mandated to support physical needs? I would say, yes, we very much are. And I would say um, the difficulty for us is that is, is in many ways the same difficulty that has been in many generations of the church with the exception is that almost all of the things that once were the, the role of the church have been taken over by the state because Christianity has won. Don't ever miss that. All the stuff that makes the modern state what it is, social welfare, welfare helping the poor, uh, hospitals, all of those things were started by the church. Um, there's a great book uh, called Dominion, um, and it is the story of how the church changed uh, everything. Um, I, I love it. Um, a few months back, um, Pastor Anthony read it and gave a book review of it. He didn't like it as much as I did, but he's not as spiritual as I am. So that's why that's why that happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, the, the idea is uh, so we don't do church hospitals unless we had the money, of course, because um, now the state, we cannot let that be an excuse not to do anything. Um, we don't do social welfare in the manner of the state, but that is not an excuse for us not to do anything. The job of the church is to a, ask on a regular basis, Lord, what can I do to move the needle in my community? How can I help? How can I support? So this is the unique reality of the modern church. This is very important for all of us to understand. 
in history, because there was no social services, the church could make the biggest difference with that. Now, because all of the programs, whether uh, truly, whether it is public school, do you know that public school started in the church? Public school started because churches in London, and I believe in the 18th century, were worried about how many poor kids grew up on the streets without education. And so churches started education for the school and you, uh, for the kids that had no money to go to school. School was private. You had to pay. Um, and churches started uh, school. And it was, you want to guess what it's called? Sunday school. And churches did not simply teach kids uh, theological indoctrination, which is important. We must, that's taught as far back as the Old Testament. But honestly, parents, you should be, you, you it's incumbent upon the parents to teach uh, to your children. That's why for all through COVID, you heard me over and over, parents, please teach your children. You can't, uh, we get them for an hour once a week. They, they need more than that. Teach your children. But what uh, these Sunday schools did is they taught poor children, literally the simplest things, how to read, how to, how to count. They just used Bible subjects to do it. Now the state does that. Everything that the state does, the modern, wealthy, um, small L liberal state, not liberal like conservative liberal, but uh, civil rights style government, everything they do was first done by the church. Christianity has won. Um, so I'm one of the reasons why I love being a Christian is because the inheritance of the modern world is that Christianity has won. Um, anyway, so all of these things, once done by the church, are now done by uh, the state. Imperfectly, yes, but it's always been imperfectly. Um, what now there is a dearth of, what there is now a dearth of that the state cannot do and will never compete with is spiritual support. And this is where the church connects with people with spiritual support. I don't mean you're interpreting their dreams. If you can do that, great. Be careful with it. Make sure that the gifts of the spirit are being protected by the fruit of the spirit, by all means, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. If we set the standard that high, there won't be much being done. Spiritual support is you speaking the word of life over the people in your world. Spiritual support is you praying for them and telling them that you're praying for them. Spiritual support is you in your daily prayer saying, God, is there somebody in my world right now who's feeling desperate? Would you speak their name into my spirit? Put them in my dream. And when I wake up, I'll call them, text them, send them an email. I'll tell them. I'll just open the door of ministry. You can't force them to talk to you but you can always be open in the door of ministry. That's what Jesus does with us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is always opening that door of ministry. What we do as believers, we're always opening the door of ministry, always sending spiritual support. Now, along with that, that the state can never do, the church makes its biggest influence in the community when we find a way simply to help 
to give, to share. We get some of the most visitors from events like the Backpack Drive. We need to do better uh, with events like that. I'm praying for direction there. I'm talking to team members for direction there. Uh, we're praying about how we can uh, serve people, help people. Um, I've been talking recently and I've actually started working on helping people with their finances in a more structured environment, uh, teaching people about whether it's personal finances or investing, uh, just simple things that start the process of we give, we help, we share. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, So what? Uh, but I certainly gave you a long dialogue on the subject. <laughs> so um, we're running out of time. I think that's enough for, for, for here uh, tonight. Um, I want to I wanna let you go before I do. Um, I want to just uh, take a moment and I want us just to uh, reflect upon being the church. I'd like you just wherever you are, if you can, just for uh, about a minute, I want you to just reflect upon being the church. How am I the church? A threefold purpose. I exalt God. I edify, I grow, and I grow others, and I evangelize. Both the growth in me and the testimony to others is a direct result of me gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and sharing that with others. So right now, before we go, I'd like you just to take a moment Close your eyes if you can. If you're driving, please don't close your eyes. But if you can, just close your eyes wherever you, right where you are, and I'd like you to reflect on this. And then we're going to pray together.
Sunday, we will be two services as usual, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Let's come together. Let's focus on worship. Let's exalt the name of the Lord. I love you. God bless you. And we will talk to you soon. I want to encourage you to begin speaking life over the people in your world. I want to encourage you to always be open on the door of ministry to people in your life. Always like the Lord just knocking on the door. You're not charging in, taking over. You're just always opening that door. You see, if they're not ready, they won't, they won't open. That's okay. Just wait, knock again. Uh, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You are anointed. You are, you are called, but I'm not perfect. Welcome to the club. You are anointed. You are called. You are God's man. You are God's woman. You are those young people on the, on the call. You are God's young people. We love you. We believe in you. That's enough. Talk to you later. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.